Hello and welcome to Clock Spinning, the podcast of Magic's history as told card by card. I'm Austin and with me as always is my co-host Connor. How are you today, Connor? I'm I'm doing great. I'm uh looking at my foil time spiral dandan uh, which just a few months ago was worth like $3 and is now my second most valuable card. So I'm just sitting what? here watching it. <laughs> How much is a foil Dandan now? Uh, according to Deckbox, it's at around $52. Oh my god. I wish I'd load it up. Just madness. Wow. It must be the popularity of this Dandan format I've been wanting to try. I think so. I can't, like, I can't what imagine else what else would be contributing to it. Huh. But hold your Dandans or, or sell them. I don't know. Huh. Yeah, I uh, I do not know how to advise genuinely on that. Yeah, this is not MDG Dan Dan investment advice. Well, uh, we don't have any uh, Dan Dans for you, uh, listeners. But before we get into the meat of our topic, we do have a pile of foil Graxaplons for you. And if you want one, I'm not kidding. Email us clockspinningpodcast at gmail.com and we will mail you for free a signed foil Graxaplon. We really do mean it. And if that won't keep people listening, I don't know what will. I <laughs> That's the best we can do. All right, it's all downhill from here, Connor. You want to in- introduce our uh, topic? It is. Let's uh, let's roll downhill through some uh, red cards today. We're continuing our set review, block review of uh, Champions of Kamigawa, uh, of course, with the ultimate goal of building a cube that kind of represents the, the best, most fun parts of uh, the block. We are changing things just a little bit as we uh, move into the red cards of Betrayers of Kamigawa here today, we are still going to be covering every card. Uh, but to save some of our time and yours, uh, our plan from here on out is to sort of breeze through most of the cards that we would just consider to be insta-cuts. Uh, and if if you're not sure what we mean by insta-cut, uh, you can check out some of our previous episodes, like episode one, uh, or I believe episode 14, uh, the beginning of the Betrayers of Kamigawa set review, uh, where we kind of go through all of our card ratings for each of the cards that we'll cover. But from here on out, we will be moving through the Instacuts uh, as quickly as possible because they will not be making it into the cube. Uh, if you're new to the show, links to the cube and a lot more on clockspinning.com. But I don't know, Connor, I think, I think that's enough preamble. We got 30 exciting and unexciting red cards to get to. Should we just crack on? We sure do. Let's get into it. First up today, we have Aki Blizzard Herder. One and an R for a 1-1 Goblin Shaman. Common. When Aki Blizzard Herder dies, each player sacrifices a land. In the flavor text, it remains unclear whether the Aki Shamans could in fact create storms or simply predicted them. The history of Kamigawa. Uh, this is uh, this is the first of our uh, easy instacuts that we're going to go quickly through. Uh, not room, even in our cube, for two mana creatures that automatically guarantee a two-for-one in your opponent's favor. Um, but I did like uh, this gatherer comment. On condition your opponent goes first, turn one, Black Lotus, this Goblin Grenade. Trust me, they will get annoyed. It's funny. Divine Exodus. Uh, I'm not sure that's good, though. And honestly, if Black Lotus is not enough to make a card good, like there's no, there's no hope. I think that that really says it all. For me, even even the flavor text on this card, which is usually good when it's coming from the history of Kamigawa, that's kind of a, a thing we see a lot in flavor text in these cards. Even this flavor text is kind of a miss. Like, it's hard to tell if it's supposed to be a joke or what's happening there. So just everything about this Instacut. Would you say it remains unclear whether this is a joke? It, it sure does. But what is not unclear 
Instacut. Okay, next up we have Aki Raider, also one in a red for a 2-1 Goblin Warrior. Whenever a land is put into a graveyard from play, Aki Raider gets plus one, plus O until end of turn. And the flavor text says, Aki were very territorial, attacking and destroying any settlements that came too close to their mountain homes. The more successful their raids, the bolder they became. To me, this is just a a two-mana 2-1 with an extreme edge case upside, which feels like an insta-cut to me. So I started as insta-cut, and then the more I thought about this little guy, the more I thought, I mean, a two-mana 2-1, that's like the rate already for Kamigawa. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's a it's a three one, and that's that's fine. Sometimes it's a three one. I know. Sometimes it's a three one, and most of the time it's a two one, and that's kind of okay. Um, because our our three mana slot in red is pretty stacked, but the two mana slot is uh pretty bad. Uh, we've got Emberfist Zubera, who we love, great. Battle Mad Ronin, who is fine, and Hearth Kami, who is actually pretty similar to this, like a two mana two one with marginal upside. But I think this rewards a more interesting thing than Hearth Kami. Like Hearth Kami, for anyone who hasn't committed it to memory, uh, is X, sack it, uh, destroy target artifact with mana value X or less. That's probably better, but this sort of like helps create a little bit of a land destruction archetype, which we kind of want. So I, I sort of like cutting the three hearth commies that we bizarrely put in the cube down to like maybe one and having two of these i don't know what do you think about that um i mean i i wouldn't be opposed to it i'm just i'm not sure how much land destruction will if it'll ever trigger <laughs> yeah if it'll ever trigger and if land destruction can ever really be a thing like i know we kept stone rain around yeah uh, do we really have anything else going on uh, we have a handful, but it, it's also funny because land destruction doesn't tend to be something you do on command. And then when you do, it's like you get in for one more damage. Like you're not really trying to race, I feel like, with land destruction. Usually the way you win is by destroying the lands and then it really doesn't matter what you're doing. Right. Uh, like the land destruction is the payoff and the one extra power for one turn here just is not exciting to me. Yeah, I guess the other downside is it it's possibly a false signal that there is a strong land destruction deck when there isn't. Yeah, I I think that's a very good point because you you pick up this Aki Raider, you're going to be looking for land destruction that just doesn't exist, which is true of a lot of things in Kamigawa. It really is. <laughs> so what do you think? You, you really want to keep him around? Let's no, I think it. we should just cut it. Okay. All right, let's talk about Ashen Monstrosity. Ashen Monstrosity is 5RR for a 7-4 spirit, uncommon, haste, and it attacks each turn if able. Flavor text, there was a dull thunder at the vanguard, then shocked cries in the midst of the column. Moments later, Takata, last of the rear guard, faced the kami alone. Okay, I love this card. I uh, particularly love the art. If you're not looking at the art, uh, pull it up on Scryfall. There's a link down in the show notes or you know, go watch it on YouTube. We throw up an image of each card as we talk about it. This art is so cool. It's got kind of a Miyazaki or like Shadow of the Colossus vibe. There's just yeah. this looming insectoid black kami just absolutely dwarfing this teeny tiny guy uh, in the foreground. There's a real feeling of kind of heat coming off the land here. Just a real sinister foreboding air. Like a really, really good piece. And I, I was so struck by this piece, I wanted to go look into the artist because I'd never heard of Chris Oppelhans. He only did two pieces in Magic, this and Ethereal Haze back in Champions. Uh, and it looks like the reason he stopped uh, is obviously not a lack of talent. It's that he went on to do like much bigger <laughs> things. Uh, he was an illustrator for films like Coraline and Fantastic Mr. Fox and a bunch of other early 2010s uh, animated movies. And then most recently he directed uh, like mid-budget Sony animated film called 
wish dragon. So I don't know. That's impressive. I can't think of any other magic. I mean, that's almost like a kind of Rebecca Gway, like ascent to stardom. So didn't, didn't know about this guy, but that's pretty cool. Could anything really be bigger than Ashen Monstrosity though, Austin? Physically? Not well, in the you block. Said he went on to bigger things, so. <laughs> boo. Boo. Um, <laughs> do you also love the art here though, Connor? If you don't, I'm going to be mad. I really do. The art and the flavor text for me here are just fantastic. The flavor text mentions Takata. It says, moments later, Takata, last of the rear guard, faced the Kami alone. And you can really see that and feel just the the terror and awe of Takata here as he's facing this thing down. Yeah, the complete futility of it is is honestly, it there's there's a lot of horror in this, like in a subtle yeah. way. Yeah. I mean it's a it's a it is really a monstrosity. For me, it's a lot scarier than a lot of these kind of gross body horror Kamigawa ones. Like you just, you put yourself into, once you notice the figure, you put yourself into his shoes and you go, oh my God, I'm just dead. (laughs) Yeah, this is it. And, and, you know, maybe you are just dead if your opponent slams this on turn seven. Coming down on seven man is rough because that's probably like seven, turn seven, eight or nine. But like, this is a real body, right, Connor? Like just crashing in for seven damage. Like that's a lot. Seven mana hasty seven, four seems perfectly good to me in this environment it probably trades down sometimes but there's not that many things in kamigawa that can deal with ashen monstrosity if your opponent doesn't have something that can deal with it it just ends the game it's probably garnering some kind of two for one at least in in most of the most situations yeah i would hope so there uh this guy is obviously like draft chaff but there he's got a sort of heroic draft chaff quality that i like like i like these kind of cards that are just all stars and limited or at least not all stars but you know genuinely powerful threats even though they may not have a place in any other environment yeah i I think that's part of what makes you know limited of of any kind so fun is it it gives cards like ashen monstrosity a chance to be the star of a game in a way that they would never have in any kind of constructed format. So what's uh, where are you at for rating and quantity on this? So I have the monstrosity as a playable 1x. It's hard for me to see us needing more than one of these, just with how expensive it is. Uh, but I do think he's pretty playable. We're in the weird, rare situation where I have a, a higher quantity and a lower rating. So I'm a meh. I don't think this thing is like that powerful. I wouldn't be surprised if it somehow got cut eventually. Not because it's bad, but because like seven mana is just a lot and I could see it never getting cast once. But I kind of like two of them. I just like them as some sort of crazy double top end for the red deck. Or maybe, maybe almost like a sort of free fallback top end for the red deck. I don't know that that makes any sense. <laughs> why, why would you need to you wouldn't you, you wouldn't okay fine okay that's crazy it's it's probably a 1x um do you really think this is a playable like i feel like there's a lot of universe multiverses where this card gets cut at some point i don't know i mean i think it like if you have this to play on seven i think it actually is pretty playable because it's just it's, it's i think it's going to be surprisingly hard to deal with yeah but but seven drops don't get played on seven in non-green decks this is like a turn eight or nine play yeah I think. Yeah, that's fair. And I think we uh, we cut Desperate Ritual, the one red card that, that <laughs> I don't could know have that... ripped out an Ashen Monstrosity. Good? I don't think that would be good. Oh, I don't. It wouldn't be good, but it'd be kind of cool. It'd be okay, fun. It'd, I, be, it'd be a story. Yeah, yeah. I guess I guess Meh is is fine. I do want to mention that Austin and I, I think throughout most of this episode, will be in pretty close agreement. But overall, I have been more positive on these cards than Austin. At least when I put this note in here, he had only rated two cards higher than I did. So a little foreshadowing. I think that's gone up a teeny bit, but not much. Okay. Yeah, I, 
Red was widely considered uh, the weakest color in Kamigawa Block Limited. Uh, and I, I think we just see that here. There are so many uh, cards that have just no utility um, or just like yep. total chaff, like Aki Raider. Um, we'll be we'll be seeing a, a possible no utility card in just a second here. Yeah. Oh, incidentally, I should also say we promised to talk about the these cards in the broader like cube, EDH, and Magic history uh, context. We just and we will. We just haven't uh, <laughs> haven't run into any yet that have any any history uh, in any format except ours. Yes, we we. <laughs> We certainly will when we get to any kind of history. <laughs> All right, meh, 1x. And actually, this next card makes me worry that there's some history we've missed because it's just such a, a niche effect that it feels like it must have done something for someone somewhere. Uh, but this is Aura Barbs, or Aura Barbs. Two and a red for an instant arcane. And it says... Each enchantment deals two damage to its controller. Then each aura attached to a creature deals two damage to the creature it's attached to. So this is kind of a cool idea, but I think a really terrible card, especially in our cube. Yeah, this is just a stone cold instacut. I think the best thing about it is how, what a confusing tongue twister. Each enchantment enchanting a creature deals two damage to the creature it's enchanting. That That's yeah. a wonderful tongue twister. Yep. But, we uh, should do an episode on magic tongue twisters. Oh, that would actually be pretty fun. Or I don't know how we'd find them, but like top 10 magic rules text tongue twisters. I love okay. that. All right. <laughs> All right. Let's cut the aura barbs. All right. Cut the aura barbs, but it may have given us some golden episode concepts. Okay. Let's talk about Blademane Baku. Blademane Baku is one and an R for a 1-1 one, one spirit at common. Whenever you cast a spirit or arcane spell, you may put a key counter on Blade Maiden Baku. One, remove X key counters from Blade Main Baku. For each counter removed, Blade Main Baku gets plus two, plus O until end of turn. Okay, so this is part of the uh, Baku cycle. There's one in each color. They all have the same get a key counter whenever you cast a spirit or arcane spell and then remove X of them to do X thing. This, I think, is the worst in several dimensions. One, the art is just the worst. It's like a ball of, I don't know, bl curvy blades. It's a ball of blades. Yeah, it's a ball of blades with lion's feet in a sort of abstract mountainous landscape. It's just the art's terrible. And the card, I think, is pretty terrible. I think this could be really good, maybe, or okay, if it wasn't, like, incredibly telegraphed and also an X one. Like, anytime this swings in with key counters, it gets blocked. And then you spend some mana and trade. I don't Like, whatever. <laughs> yeah. This is just an easy insta-cut, I think. Yeah, it is It is an easy insta-cut. It's kind of interesting. It feels like there's some several knobs that could be turned a little bit here to make it at least worth considering like maybe if this had trample or could get like gave first strike maybe if the plus two plus oh could be given to any creature instead of just this one one baku but as it is it's just uh get it out of here yeah i totally agree like just just something i feel like first strike maybe be too good but like trample would be totally fine like this it's like a build your own ball lightning that would have been fine yeah but uh right now it's just a ball of blades yeah all right. Bye-bye, Blade Main Baku. Okay, pretty interesting one coming up here. This is Blazing Shoal. XRR for an instant arcane. You may exile a red card with mana value X from your hand rather than pay the spell's mana cost. And target creature gets plus X plus O until end of turn. Um, so this is actually the third card we've seen today that buffs power but not toughness, which is definitely on brand for red. 
uh, maybe especially in Betrayers. But the problem with all the other cards that we've seen and more that we're going to see later is that that power buff is usually just being applied to really small creatures that are just going to get chumped and, and die and maybe get a decent trade once in a while. And they're on board, so your opponent plays around it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they, they know it's coming. Like we were just saying for Blade Main Baku, without any kind of sneak attack potential or trample or first strike, that power bump, I think a lot of times is just meaningless. This, on the other hand, lets you put that buff anywhere at instant speed, and I, I think is could be a, a pretty decent finisher sometimes. Yeah, I think this thing is uh, quite solid. It's got that end the game out of nowhere potential you mentioned too. I don't know if you exile Ashen Monstrosity, our buddy from earlier, like plus seven, plus oh, like you can abruptly kill an opponent on like a decent life total with zero mana up kind of out of nowhere. And of course you can use this wherever you need to, right? Like this can let a one, one token end the game. And that's, that's pretty powerful. I do worry I'm forgetting the quadrant test here, but like, this is not good when you're behind, for example. It's pretty good when you're ahead. It's not good in development. It is good at parity to very good. The thing about Kamigawa is parity is, like, the most common part of the quadrant. Uh, like, so many Kamigawa games end, in this, or end up in this sort of stalemate where you're looking for a bomb or you're looking for some way to, like, accrue advantage that your opponent can't keep up with. And this is, like, a way to punch through that's pretty much has no parallel. There's nothing else in the block that can do something like this. Which is pretty strange because i think of this as a very like kind of a, a core part of red's color identity yeah it's uh it's true weirdly for this is actually one of just three x cost instance like ever printed that give plus x plus o i feel like there should have been more but i think that's just because when we were kids they insisted on printing howl from beyond which is x and a b give plus x plus o and enrage which is the exact same thing in red like these things just showed up in core sets and like clogged uh, our card boxes. And so I think of this as a mm. common effect, but it's really not. This is like the last one ever printed. Hmm. So that's that's some trivia. Um, also some trivia. This is one of just four cards in this block that are banned in modern, which I think is sort of wonderful. Uh, the others being Glimpse of Nature uh, and then the more iconic Sensei's Divining Top and Umizawa's Jite. Uh, and this was banned actually right after the first ever modern Pro Tour. Uh, when this saw play in a mono blue deck, it saw play in uh, mono blue infect uh, as a way to just kill uh, instantly in one shot, right? Your opponent gets in with their random one mana, uh, one, one infect dork. They blazing shoal exile dragon storm <laughs> infect you for 10 and you lost the game on turn two. And wizards decided that was a little too fast and good for modern. And so this has been banned in modern since almost the inception of the format. I wonder if it uh, would still need to be. I wish I'd listened. MTG Goldfish did a series recently on um, what cards could be safely unbanned in modern. I don't know where they came down on Blazing Shoal. Oh, yeah. I wonder if it was uh, if it was in there. Modern has uh, developed quite a bit in uh, the last 10 uh, plus years. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, Blazing Shoal doesn't seem quite as disgusting, maybe. So where are you at in this thing? You seem pretty high on it, Connor. I have it at playable, I think mostly because of the sort of the surprising uniqueness of this effect and the fact that you can you know pitch it even when you're or you can pitch something to it even when you're completely tapped down it does make me pretty sad that this doesn't give trample but red is really not uh at all a trampling color in kamigawa there's literally only one red card in the block that says anything about trample and it's the five color genju of the realm so <laughs> trample is just not a thing in red I also feel like you don't need trample that much here because like you can punch through with anything uh, plus Blazing Shoal. Yeah, I'm just kind of, you know, imagining a, a 
not uncommon scenario, like you were mentioning, where the board is at parity, maybe also in terms of number of creatures that you and your opponent have, and you just get everything blocked. You know, if they like let your one one through and then you blazing shoal it, that's great. But well, it's yeah. probably not great. I feel like it's probably I mean, mad. <laughs> well, I, that's that's greater than if everything gets blocked. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, what's your rating? I'm I'm a male on this thing. I think it's pretty good. Uh, I I feel like it's playable. I kind of want to stick with playable. All right, Connor's going to the mat. Fine, I'll allow playable. Although I think the art is also a bit. It's not a strike. The artist here is just like fine. It's just like a yeah. ultra muscular goblin dude. I assume he's not really a goblin. Yeah, the art is a meh for sure. He's not a Kamigawa goblin. He looks like some kind of orc. But he is totally a goblin. But then he's surrounded yeah. by these Kamigawa fish. Huh. Yeah, he doesn't really look like the ogres particularly. Maybe he's an ogre. Do they have pointy ears? This guy's got like pointy elf ears. Yeah, he's like a elf ogre. If anyone knows uh, what, what this guy's deal is, let us know. Yeah, what species is this guy? I'm looking. I'm lo- yeah, I think he's an ogre. Yeah, I'm looking at like uh, ogre recluse. So Kenzon Bruiser. Most of them look more less human than this guy, but it does look like most of them have pointy ears. Although many of them also have no ears. So I don't know. Yeah, IDK. Still, still the miss for me. Uh, yeah, big miss. But a playable card, 1x. All right, let's go to Clash of Realities. Clash of Realities is 3R for an enchantment at rare. All spirits have... When this creature enters the battlefield, you may have it deal three damage to target non-spirit creature. All non-spirit creatures have. When this creature enters the battlefield, you may have it deal three damage to target spirit. This is a weird card. Oh, I should also say before we get into why we are both Instacuts, um, uh, this is a weird card, but I do like the art here quite a bit. It really depicts a sort of cosmic clash of realities um, between this kind of scary, I don't know, scorpion, demon... Kami guy and some badass uh, Kumano or Kumano acolyte monk fighting over a lava field. It's very cool. Yeah. The card itself, I don't know. It's almost like a, like a winter orb for Kamigawa limited. And then it just like <laughs> slow, slows the game down. Uh, by the way, I, I hope I'm the uh-huh. first person to ever compare this to winter orb, but it, it just kind of slows the game down, but doesn't add anything that interesting or exciting. Like you can't build around it because like by it's so naturally symmetrical that I, I I don't know. I just like, I don't see how this ever does anything. I think it's just an easy Instacut. Yeah. My, my like first read of this card is, was, Oh, this is a, like a build around effect. And then you think about it for, you know, another one to two seconds and realize (laughs) that it's basically impossible to actually build around it at all because you don't know. And, can't control what your opponent is running even if you have the spirits or the non-spirits to like to create your own synergy of clash of realities like you can only you know the spirit can only target a non-spirit and vice versa so it's just well and all of your opponent's creatures are just going to be doing it back to you that's what that's yeah. what I, I just don't see how in our environment at least the symmetry here seems sort of unbreakable yeah I, actually yeah that's that's totally right because if they have things you can target with your spirits let's say then that means they also have things that can target your spirits yeah just a weird card i will say as a quick aside before we cut this thing and move on this seems awesome in kaikar uh you know the general who make the i think he's a jeskai general who makes spirits whenever you cast an instant or sorcery like that seems hilarious uh to just like keep dropping these little spirit tokens and have them pew pew uh down your opponent's board unless they are also spirits uh, well, but you're you've got you've got uh, oh I see. Well, yeah, but I mean, come on, you're 
Oh, and this is a rare, by the way. Yeah, this this is the kind of rare that you got to open back then. But seriously, only 86 out of 7,482 Kaikar decks run this, and I think that's a travesty. That is a that's a big miss. Also, I misread remembered Kaikar. Kaikar triggers off any non-creature spell. So just want to say beautiful. Seems good. Somebody play this. That's it's worth a slot. All right. Not in our cube, though. <laughs> nope. <laughs> not, not not a slot here. Okay, I, I think we'll probably be in agreement that this next card is not worth a slot anywhere, ever. Uh this is Crack the Earth. R for a sorcery arcane. Each player sacrifices a permanent. And the flavor text says, as the war progressed, the destruction the Kami caused became more widespread and less predictable. Observations of the Kami War. I think this is pretty predictably uh, awful in uh, almost any situation you could play it in in Kami Call Limited. Uh, my only comment on this in the spreadsheet is just, wow. Yeah, my, my only comment I don't think I can say on this family <laughs> it's un- it's show. It's unprintable. Or un, uh, we can't put say it on air. Uh, uh, yeah, it's an Instacut. <laughs> All right, let's let's just cut this bad boy. I, I will say, I'm sure someone somewhere has found some fun things to do with this. They're probably not great things, but they are fun things. But I couldn't find any historical rec- record of that. And in our cube, I, I don't think they're possible. Okay, let's talk about Cunning Bandit. Cunning Bandit is 1RR for a 2-2 human warrior. He is a flip card. Whenever you cast a spirit or arcane spell, you may put a key counter on Cunning Bandit. At the beginning of the end step, if there are two or more key counters on Cunning Bandit, you may flip it. So three mana, two, two. When he gets two or more key counters, he flips at end of turn into Azamuki Treachery Incarnate, Legendary Spirit, five, two. Remove a key counter, gain control of target creature until end of turn. Okay, so three mana, two, two, grows uh, key counters and then flips into a five, two that almost, almost does a treachery effect almost it's a big almost it's a big almost because when i first read this you know i did that thing where i just sort of glossed it into a card i know and then i reread it and i said wait a second you gain the creature but you don't gain haste like what is that you might as well just tap it down like what there's no sacrifice effects in the block like what are you doing with this thing connor um nothing it doesn't get haste it doesn't untap this is not the the threaten that you know and probably also don't really love this is this is just bad i think yeah, it's a bummer because we're this is the fourth of this like three mana um mortal trader card that flip into spirits. And we've liked the other two. We haven't thought they've been amazing, but we found them sort of interesting and like fun deck building kind of incentives. But this thing, like I mean, I guess the five even the five two body is like, come on, couldn't we get like a five three out of this thing? Just like something. I can forgive you for this, but we've actually seen three of those already. This is Did I fourth. say five? What the did white, I say? Y- you said we've seen two and this is the third. Oh. Um, mm. But the white one was pretty forgettable, so. Yeah. But all of those other three, I think, do can do something. Like the white one protects from damage. The blue one kind of counters spells in a sort of interesting way. The black one gives uh, anything fear for kind of a finisher. This, I guess, removes an attacker or blocker for one turn. No, not an, not even an attacker, just a blocker. Yeah, in... um. <sighs> Oh, you can't do it at instant speed. Yeah, so. okay, so you could use it to steal a creature and then block with it. But your opponent can see that you can do that. Yeah, and if they've attacked with it, it would be not useful because it doesn't untap it. Yep, yep. So you Boy, have to do this it. card. 
before come. <laughs> I think I think this is one of these cards that fell victim of the two small text box on the flip cards. You know, like they didn't have the transform technology. Yeah. So these text boxes are tiny. Like, I feel like maybe this should have treachery and just doesn't. Yeah, I, I mean, the, the sort of threaten effect in uh, Champions, which is called Blind with Anger, does untap and give haste. So, you know, they, they, they clearly knew how to do it if they wanted to. We have the technology. They have the technology, but not the printing technology to fit that in, maybe. Yeah. Um, the art here is is polarized. Uh, it's by uh, Paolo Parente. And if you haven't seen these flip cards, it's worth looking at one because the frames are really weird. So the art is like in the middle and it's like two little portraits side by side. And when you flip the card over, uh, you flip from looking at one to the other one. So the front side is just like a just a guy in this like kind of comic booky like high contrast style that Paolo uh, does. I'm not a huge fan of it. It's like fine. Um, but then he flips into this like nail pierced like mouth man. <laughs> mouth man. I love that. Like a sort of Ren and Stimpy vibe or something like more <laughs> horrific, but it's like a kind of a 90s Nickelodeon vibe. And I, I'm kind of digging it. 90s Nickelodeon uh, nail pierced mouth man. Not the nail pierced part, but don't you think the like grossness of him is kind of Ren and Stimpy ish? Yeah. Like the yeah. way he's gnawing and, on his own arm. <laughs> I mean, if that description doesn't uh, get you over to the YouTube video, I don't know what will. <laughs> Please like and subscribe. Uh, so what's your rating on this, Connor? I'm like a meh 1x. Like I still want to put it in just because we haven't allowed that many complete cycles in. I think we've been pretty good about not being seduced by them. But in this case, like, I mean, it still seems fine-ish. Yeah. I mean, it's got, it's got five power. Yeah. I'm, I'm also a meh. I, I wouldn't be surprised if it doesn't make the final cut, but meh for now seems fine. Okay. Meh 1x. All right. Before we uh, move on, I do want to say um, Cunning Bandit and Azamugi do combo with Crack the Earth pretty well. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah, sure. Well, we'll just leave it at that. Okay. Our next card is First Volley. Uh, one in a red for an instant arcane. And first volley deals one damage to target creature and one damage to that creature's controller. Uh, the flavor text says, We searched their bodies for signs of the blades that had killed them, but found nothing more than scorched flesh. Tender hand, Kitsune healer. little on the nose there. I like it. I like it. You like the flavor text? Yeah, I like it. I, like, I kind of like how on the nose and gross it is. Yeah, I mean, it sounds painful. Ow. So... I have this card at a meh 2x, and I see you have it at an insta-cut. So we kind of, we we have a bit of a situation here. Do we just cut it and move on, or do we have something to talk about? No, I think we have something to talk about, which is that, like, I mean... <sighs> okay, let's start with uh, the local context in our cube. So this kills 98 out of 351 creatures, not counting tokens. That's not a great hit rate. Uh, it's not a completely indefensible hit rate, but, like, this is often trading down and i just don't consider the upside of one damage to the controller almost at all meaningful like there's just so few games that are decided by your ability to like ping your opponent for one like if i ignore that like this is obviously terrible and i think the thing that helped me feel fairly confident it's terrible is the card shower of sparks which is just this card for one less mana and it's not arcane um and that card is a dog that card is like stone cold unplayable um, and I knew that even when I was 14 and opening my first uh, Onslaught packs. I I'm incidentally like, I think this is a good example that Wizard seems to think like being arcane is worth one mana. 
And it's just not. And there's all these arcane cards that suffer for it. And the arcane deck as a whole suffers because like every time we get to one of these arcane cards, we're like, well, maybe if we, maybe there's some way, you know, like we, we, we're talking ourselves into finding some way to make it playable. And like arcane is such minor upside. This could have just cost one mana and it would still be a super marginal effect. Okay. I, I completely agree with all of that. This should cost one mana. And even then I think is not that good. What gives me pause and makes me think that maybe it's meh is that it's contributing to our arcane density in the cube. So this is definitely mm-hmm. not a meh in any in any other context, but we've, you know, we've we've had some comments on arcane spells that we've rated in the past and generally rated very low that in order to make arcane work or be a thing at all in the cube, which I think we at least in theory would like it to be, there needs to be some certain density of of arcane spells for you to splice things onto or to trigger trigger spirit craft or to make other cards more relevant so i don't think that first volley is is good in any sense but it can kill close to a third of creatures in the cube and also be an arcane spell okay so i i have a couple bad arcane spells coming up later that i'm hoping to parlay into a mediocre deck so i'm i'm willing to listen to this i'm, I'm willing to come up to your mat 2x yeah the, i think what makes these really hard to evaluate for me is that many of the arc these arcane spells are obviously bad but i like i think what's hard is figuring out how many we would need and how many copies of particular arcane spells to really make this archetype a thing some kind of yeah. arcane spell slinger thing yeah and i like i just don't know if 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 we need the first volley to make this work it's, it's kind of like storm and vintage cube it's like a bunch of otherwise unplayable cards. You know, they're only useful for one archetype. It's just that here it's like, are they even useful in that archetype? Like, yeah, is, yeah. is that archetype even capable of existing? Yeah. Is there any kind of payoff? We still don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm fine starting with Mad 2X though. Okay. Before we move off of this, I, I have to say the art here is like competent, but utterly boring. Like it's just, I don't know. It looks like something from a like, second rate tcg to me you know it's just it's just some fiery shurikens like arcing through the air and there's nothing bad about it but there's also nothing like evocative or interesting there's really nothing that's like oh this is why it hits the controller and the creature i mean this could be anything there's really not even that spirity it's just just a card to me these look like uh some kind of blade birds that you would see in theros it looks like an enchantment creature Oh, that makes me With like the little it even constellation. Less. They do look very bird-like going on there, huh? Right. They almost should have leaned into the bird-like thing more because one of my beasts with this is it doesn't really look like an arcane spell. Yeah, it's like a ninja spell. Yeah, I know. Are the are the spirits observing the ninja world? <laughs> they're they're the spirits are watching. They're like, man, that that shuriken thing. That's yeah, pretty that sick. Ninja tech. That's pretty good. We should get in on this. Yeah, we got to start throwing some of those. <laughs> Anything else on first volley? Nope, that was my first, second, and final volley on first volley. Oh, I like it. <laughs> Thank you. All right, let's talk about Flames of the Blood Hand. That is an awesome name, by the way. 2R for an instant and uncommon. Flames of the Blood Hand deals four damage to target player or planeswalker. The damage can't be prevented. If that player or planeswalker's controller would gain life this turn, that player gains no life instead. And the flavor text, many ogres extracted blood oaths from the Oni they summoned. Others simply extracted blood. The Oni, Oni have blood? 
Okay, can we start there, Connor? I'm super confused. I thought the ogres were subordinate to the Oni, but here they're like extracting oaths from them and extracting their blood. Like, uh, help me out. I'm really confused by this. This this almost feels like uh, the words ogres and Oni were put in the wrong place. Absolutely. It was supposed to be the Oni that extracted blood oaths from the ogres and others just extracted blood. Also, the art here is really gross. <laughs> but like the thing in the art looks like an Oni. It does. I guess it could also be an ogre. Now you mention it. The Well, he doesn't have the third eye, does he? Uh, it's hard to tell because he's so bloody. Feels like a two eye situation to me. Okay, so that out of the way. So apparently when I first rated this, I rated this at build around 3x. And I, I stared at that for a solid couple of minutes and thought, like, was I on drugs? Like, I have no idea why I rated this a build around 3x. I don't see it as a build around at all. That said, I feel like this card is kind of a meh uh, 2x. There's, I feel like there's maybe a Bernie deck taking shape here. Unfortunately, it's mostly arcane. And so the fact that this isn't arcane is very annoying and painful. Um, but still, like, four damage is, is a lot of damage, and not hitting creatures is, of course, a tremendous, tremendous downside. But, like, I don't know, you hit with two of these, and, like, that's a very big chunk of your opponent's life total. Uh, and three mana isn't that slow in this format. I think this seems fine. Like, white has enough life gain for the second part of this to sometimes matter. And there's certainly plenty of damage prevention in white, though we cut almost all of that. We need to put a lot of that back in, I think, by the way. Yeah, I think... That, that might need some reevaluation. This is also a hard counter to Candle's Glow, so... Whoa. <laughs> so maybe we need to be careful with that. I don't that. know if I wanted it in that case. <laughs> yeah. One pretty fascinating thing about this card is I found some limited evidence in ancient Reddit threads that this was, like, played in modern very early oh. on in, like, budget burn lists before Skullcrack got printed. This was just, like, a desperate attempt to get a little more reach and burn. I, I, I say... I say this in a skeptical tone because honestly, it's hard for me to imagine this was ever true, but it seems like it might have been. Wow. This, from my own little bit of digging around, uh, I found that this did appear in some, seemed to have been some top standard red decks back in the day, presumably as something you would bring in against life gain. Like in a red deck wins kind of deck or? Uh, like just sort of a, a mono red burn style deck. I, I wish I'd put huh. the, the link here. I can go find it for the show notes. I mean, this is like char, like this is, I mean, obviously it's not as good as char, but this is like the char number four for three is not, not that is, I mean, that's the most, that's the cheapest you can get for. You can't get four for two. This also seems to see some extremely fringe play in EDH in like very burn aggro focused decks with commanders like Solfim, Mayhem Dominus, uh, Torbran, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Felden, which I don't really understand. Um, Connor, why is this played in 42% of Karijev Skyship Raider decks? Uh, that's a good question. I, I, I genuinely don't understand it. Like, are those decks just like trying to burn you out? I, I don't know. Just really confusing. Yeah, I mean, like, I guess it's it's sort of the same as like Felden, I guess, where you're just trying to be as aggressive and, and fast possible. Boy, I just cannot imagine that's a good plan in EDH. <laughs> yeah. Like four damage against 40 life times yeah. three I, to be fair felden only apparently commands 75 decks and karzev oh. only okay. commands that's, 227 so that's pretty marginal yeah that's pretty uh tor brand for comparison commands almost 5,000. so pretty pretty edge case okay then what's the rating on this thing i have it at a mad 2x i i feel like that's uh exactly right all right excellent okay uh let's go on to uh what is definitely an ogre it's a frost ogre three Red Red for a 5-3 Ogre Warrior. 
that's it. Uh, flavor text says, Mountain ogres allowed blizzards to sheathe them in ice, both to reinforce their armor and to hide their pungent musk from potential prey. Ew. Sure. I, I really have nothing to say here. This is a, a really, really boring Instacut. Yeah, this is the most Instacut-y. I mean, this is an example of a card that, I don't know, it might actually be fine. Like, I don't think it would be indefensible in our cube, but just, you know what, actually, Connor? I think this should be a Met-1X. I had it as an Instacut, and now I'm doubting oh, it. Come on, come on. It's just such an iconically bad card. But it's... I... I mean, we're we're trying to trying to highlight what made Kamigawa cool and interesting, right? Uh-huh. And it's not that's not Frost Ogre. Um, I is mean, being iconically bad really really good enough to no, make it it's in? Not. <laughs> like we can't allow that. But look at these kind of John Avon mountains behind him. But they're not even John Avon mountains. They're Dan I know, Scott but they're pretty mountains. John Avon esque. No, no, we can't have a Frost Ogre. <laughs> fine, I'm out of here. Fine, fine, we'll cut it. I mean, that's what I wanted all along anyway. Not really. I love you, Frost Over. Connor made me do it. Just some reverse psychology. Get him out. I was trying to find the exact John Avon mountain um, with this, and I can't because he's just painted too many mountains. Okay. John Avon has illustrated 28 separate mountains, Connor. Wow. Should we, should we do an episode where we rate all 28 of John Avon's mountains? <laughs> the Avon mountain episode? Yeah. I think uh, even we would struggle to to turn that into content. Yeah, I think that's right. All right, let's talk about Frostling. Frostling is R for a 1-1 spirit at common. Sack it. Frostling deals one damage to target creature. And its flavor text is similarly simple. Its bite will take off more than a toe. Uh, brrr, this is a pretty bad card. It did see some play in standard and like red deck wins. Although even then, Mike Flores uh, said about it, is this the worst Mog fanatic ever? Um, Frosty is also the only Mog fanatic we have right now. This card, when strategically held back, gives red deck wins and wins and wins an unexpected chance for that brass ring we all reach for in Magic, the elusive two-for-one. Which brings me, of course, to our um, classic uh, moment in clock spinning where we talk about damage on the stack. Mm -hmm. But Connor, I don't know the damage on the stack is enough to save this thing in a limited environment. Like one, one, one for one. Like, sure, in red deck wins where you're just trying to overwhelm your opponent with tempo and you play terrible cards like this or jackal pups can handle that. But I I don't see us being able to run this in a large enough quantity for this to do what it needs to do. Yeah, it's it's funny. We mentioned Frostling, I think, so many times. Like, it's sort of our, our quintessential example of why damage on the stack matters or where it could matter. And then the more I look at Frostling, the more I feel like it actually probably doesn't matter most of the time like this is a one mana one one that deals one damage once and only to a creature that was pretty poetic though one damage one mana one one that deals one damage once that's pretty good (laughs) that's that's what it does except that he'll deal two damage because of damage on the stack yeah so he can trade with a devoted retainer yeah (sighs) yeah and dome your opponent or oh i see devoted yeah you're right no, he can't. <laughs> he can't dome your opponent. Um, this he trades down even with our unplayable one drops. Oh no! Yeah. Uh, before we probably cut this thing, I quite like the art here by Carl Critchlow. It's not much to look at at first, but what I like about it, so it's a sort of skeletal like frost creature uh, making its way across a snowy uh, mountain landscape. And what I like about it is that he sort of simultaneously gets across like this is a tiny thing, like it looks small in the art. It's spindly. It's delicate. But it also looks like it would really hurt you in like kind of a scorpion way, and I think that's a that's a nice uh, achievement by him. Yeah, I 
I like your description of it. I don't like this art very much, but I I like the way you've put it. Hmm. What do you not like about the art? I, I don't know. It feels the this frostling feels really kind of placeless to me. It's it's sort of impossible to tell how large it is. It looks like it could either be a tiny little thing or like be taking up half of the side of a mountain. Uh the sky is just sort of this nondescript smudge yeah. of of red that doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. Yeah, it doesn't really seem to belong physically in the place it's in. Right. It's it's not like situated in the landscape in a convincing way. Hmm. And and somehow the the shadow underneath him on the snow amplifies that almost for me, like the the sense of out of placeness. It doesn't quite match. Hmm. Yeah. That's unfortunate. Yeah, I'm just uh not, not a huge I'm I'm not the biggest Carl Critchlow fan to begin with and this one's not not moving the needle for me. What about ratings? I, I had this at a Met 2X, but honestly, that feels generous. I think this is just an Instacut. I just don't think it's going to do anything. Yeah, Insta. Uh, I mean, how many you can soul red one it. drops do we have? Uh, Red one drops? I don't think mm-hmm. playable. I don't think any. Do we need any? I mean, I'm tempted to have one copy of this in at Meh. I don't think one is ever the right number of this. Like you need more than one. Yeah, it's it's a little bit like the arcane problem, right? Like it's not a it's not a good card, so you don't want very many of them. But you also can't really have just one uh, because then it feels sort of pointless. I feel like this thing is like a zero or four situation. Yeah, but it's I mean it's our damage on the stack mascot. I don't know. This is tough. Yeah, so maybe it's four. Just say screw it. We go to four, and then we cut them all four later. Four frostlings. <laughs> I don't, okay. I don't know. Connor, we have we have three lantern commies and three devoted retainers. And I think four candles glow still. Well, see, that is objectively correct. Yeah. I mean, that's that's an unimpeachable rating <laughs> or number of cards. Okay. Okay. Maybe we do say four Frostling and, uh, you know, at the very least generate some controversy. What about calling it a build around? Uh, what are we what are we building around it? Aggression. <laughs> okay it's a bad all right it's the a classic, bad forex <laughs> classic aggression archetype yeah i, I don't know all right fine with broad strokes here okay uh, all right sure all right oh, this, uh, this hold is... on hold on you you said a beautiful almost tongue twister with all your ones earlier and that's bringing me back to ara barbs if we do a tongue twister episode i i don't know a good scryfall search for that so listener if you know a good magic rules text tongue twister like, please email us or comment on Reddit or YouTube. Uh, I genuinely would like to build a list. So please tell us. Yes, I think we're at two already. Okay, let's move on to Fumiko the Low Blood. This is 2RR for a 3-2 legendary human samurai. And Fumiko the Low Blood has Bushido X, where X is the number of attacking creatures. And since this is our first samurai we've seen today, I'll just say what Bushido does. Uh, Whenever this creature blocks or becomes blocked, it gets, in this case, plus X plus X until end of turn. And then creatures your opponents control attack each combat if able. So this is a really interesting card to me. I I started out at playable on Fumiko, and then the more I thought about this card, the better it seemed to me. At first glance, she kind of gives the impression of being very aggressive, uh, because of this Bushido that's growing based on the number of attacking creatures. But I think her Plus real she looks power like is pissed off in her art. Like really Yeah, mad. she's she's like charging at you in a and the, the frame is like super close up on her in a way that I feel like we don't often see with many cards. It's like very zoomed in. 
which gives even more of this sense of of aggression and anger. Yeah, I, I feel like it's breaking. So I don't know what this rule is, but I feel like it's breaking some kind of compositional rule I didn't know existed. It's sort of off-putting, right? Like she's just t- sort of taking up too much, too much of the real estate. Yeah, I'm sorry I interrupted. You were going somewhere, but yeah, where was I going? Oh yeah, her. I think her real power is on defense, even though she looks like literally uh, her art looks very aggressive because this Bushido buff that she gets applies for any player's attacking creatures. And because she forces attacks, this means that you can use her to pick off your opponent's attackers one by one. With her becoming more powerful, the wider your opponent's attacking board is. And then this gets even better when she's really in her element with some other samurai who can then Bushido down your opponent's board. I really like this card. I find it weird. Uh, I feel like it uh, will challenge a drafter in that I I think it's the art, honestly, in the name that makes you assume... And the fact that it's red that makes you assume this is an aggro card, but I think this is actually like an eighty percent defensive card, at least at first. Yeah, which is weird in red, but that seems very Kamigawa, honestly, to have like a red seemingly aggro card that's actually a defensive card. That <laughs> seems sort of on brand. One other very surprising thing about this is this shows up in a lot of EDH decks. I mean, it's by no means like an EDH staple, but this shows up in eleven thousand five hundred decks, which is pretty incredible for a. That's good. Yeah, for something that looks marginal on the surface. That's that's super impressive to me. Yeah, I, I saw her appearing in, in lists with commanders that force your opponents to attack or punish them for attacking, like uh, Casual Tyrant of the Cliffs, um, which I think is, is kind of an, an awesome idea <laughs> to include Fumiko in there. That's like more than Hugure, the still wind. <laughs> that's not bad. If you're beating yeah. a ninja in, in EDH, you're doing pretty <laughs> yeah. well. Within Kamigawa, I, I like that this card really has a lot of potential play patterns that could come up you know you could use fumiko to just sort of pick off your opponent's creatures one by one uh like we were talking about you could use this to just kind of take the attack from your opponent's weaker creatures and then get them on the backswing after they're forced to you know tap down with everything so interesting modes to this card that i think we don't see with with most of uh most of kanagawa Mm -hmm. one other thing that's uncommon about this is just the effect itself uh not the bushido part um, but the uh, creatures your opponents control attack each combat if able. Uh, there's only uh, six of this effect in magic, uh, three in red, one in Rakdos, and then two in blue, interestingly, uh, hmm. which are Angler, Turtle, and Pursued Whale. Um, so this is a pretty unique effect just across the course of the game. And one of, and some of those are, are more conditional. This is like a very, very unusual card. Good job, Fumiko. Oh, one other thing I wanted to mention as, as we're just uh, singing the praises of this card. Um, I came across a, a pretty fun Star City Games article from back in the day about a deck that was built to basically find Umezawa's Jite as fast as possible, uh, which in Kamigawa terms meant using uh, Godo, which is a six-mana creature that tutors up an equipment. And then this this deck meant to find Jite basically ends up having a bunch of other samurai, including Fumiko, because samurai are good with other samurai so i thought hmm. that was just a fun little place for her to pop up to yeah what, what a great card uh sort of unassuming on the surface yeah you, i think you said you had this at auto include right i i do have this as an auto include i just it's it's so much more interesting than the average average card that we've looked at and i think so much better than most red cards that we have seen or will see that i just i don't see a situation where we would cut this yeah uh, i'm right there with you let's let's call it an auto include all right All right, let's talk about Genju of the Spires. My favorite cycle continues. 
Genju of the Spires is R for a uh, enchantment aura. Uncommon, enchant mountain. Two, enchanted ma- mountain becomes a 6-1 red spirit creature until end of turn. It's still a land. When enchanted mountain is put into a graveyard, you may return Genju of the Spires from your graveyard to your hand. So if this is the first Genju you've encountered, um, they are one mana things that enchant a basic of their color and turn it into a creature for two. And then when that mountain dies, you uh, you get the Genju back. I, I love this cycle. I love this card uh, in particular in the cycle because this is just like a lot of inevitability, particularly in this block. Like unless your opponent has first strike creatures, at a minimum, this just demands a block every time, right? Like you, your opponent cannot afford to let you connect with the 6-1 more than like one, maybe uh, two times uh, ever. Uh, so you're basically just turning like all of your late game dead draw mountains into like pseudo ball lightnings while your opponent has to trade real cards for them. Like this is just, this is a lot of game, honestly, especially on a one mana card. Yeah, it, it's interesting. It, it also makes me realize a lot of the red cards we're talking about today are about breaking stalemates. This card, I think, does that better than most. It does it for one. It does it in a cool, completely unique way. Just just a cool card. Yeah, I like that it, it breaks stalemates. I feel like it also, in a weird way, can contribute to uh, maybe not a stalemate, but but shutting down your opponent's attacks with their biggest creatures because they don't want to swing into your Genju of the Spires. That's a great point, yeah. Yeah, it's just it's a hell of a blocker, too. Yeah, yeah, you can turn this into a creature at instant speed and you know still get this Genju back in your hand. Um, so it shuts off some of their best attackers. It, like you're saying, just creates this inevitability and forces a lot of blocks that your opponent doesn't want to take. And then it just keeps coming back. And I love that you can just sort of turn your mountains into into damage or removal with like six power on a one mana card. Yeah, I know it really is like a build your own ball lightning because it's like three mana each time. And I guess it's actually kind of four because the the creature or the mountain can't contribute to its own attack. Hmm. Boo, boo. Still, yeah, pretty cool yeah. card. Yeah. Uh, it's also another opportunity for me to eat crow on cutting 100 talent strike. <laughs> so <laughs> we got to get that thing back in here. We we do. I don't know. I don't know what the context is going to be for us to go back and put in all the cards that we've been wrong about. Once we finish betrayers, right? We're we're close. Yeah, yeah. Then we'll, we'll you know, we'll go back in and and fix some mistakes. Yeah, we'll do a dedicated 100 talent strike episode. We'll add five more candles glows. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so I've been an auto-include 1x on all these. Um, I feel like this is the most auto-includey of them all. So auto-include 1x for me. I don't know about you. Yep, yep. I think that is spot on. Boom. And honestly, I wonder if this could make it in like a marginal cube. Actually, I wonder that. And then I, I in fact, know it can because Cube Cobra says this is in 1,100 cubes, which is not an incredibly huge number, but it's pretty solid for a random Kamigawa block uh, uncommon. So Props to you, Genju of the Spires. And honestly, I wish I could squeeze this into my cube because I think of the whole cycle, this is probably the most viable. It's certainly the most reprinted, which I, I think speaks to something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, 1,100 cubes is pretty good. Probably beats most enchant mountains out there. <laughs> is this the only enchant mountain? I feel like it probably <laughs> it is. probably is. I don't know. Uh, no, believe... Oh, of course. Chain to the Rocks. Uh, oh. and then yeah, right. And then also Awaken the Ancient, which uh, if anyone knows what that does off the top of your head, you are a true magic fan. Okay, so maybe it doesn't beat Chain to the Rocks. But, but no, well, okay, this is the, that's right. This isn't even the best in Sham Mountain. Oh, no. Okay, but we won't hold it against our Genju. <laughs> that's amazing. I can't believe this gets beaten. I know. 
by, it's by brutal. <laughs> one of the only other enchant mountains out there. <laughs> yeah, we got a block, just can't get a break. Yeah, I mean, uh, Genju didn't know that was coming. It was like Theros or something, right? Yeah, that's just... Yeah. Boo. Yeah, Gen- get out of here. Okay, another thing to get out of here is Goblin Cohort. One red mana for a 2-2 Goblin Warrior. Goblin Cohort can't attack unless you've played a creature spell this turn. And then the flavor text says, Aki shells provided good protection when downhill charging became headlong tumbling. <laughs> I mean, that's actually awesome. Yeah, that is great flavor text. I do love the suggestion there that the Aki just sort of developed shells over generations of falling down hills. But that's kind of the only thing to love here. Yeah, it's like Zendikar gets Goblin Guide and Kamigawa gets Goblin Cohort. Mm. Yeah, and that's why we've returned to Zendikar about 4,000 times and we just got <laughs> one, a single solitary Kamigawa trip ten like thousands of years later. Oh, Yeah, just an insta-cut. Yep. Okay, let's talk about what, I don't know, Connor, is this next card, do you think this is the most famous red card from this set? I, I feel like it probably is. I, th- I think it. I think it must be. All right, let's talk about the big boy himself, Heartless Hidetsugu. 3RR for a legendary Ogre Shaman, 4-3 at rare. Tap. Heartless Hidetsugu deals damage to each player equal to half that player's life total, rounded down. Flavor text. Hidetsugu held over a dozen Oni in Blood Oath. At his touch, rocks scorched. At his word, cities burned. Oh, man, this thing is just like firing at all cylinders. Am I right? Like, first of all, this is, I don't know. I don't know if this is the first meme card in Magic, but this is definitely like one of the early meme cards of it's weird. It's goofy. It's kind of a build around. No one is going to pretend that it's like an amazing build around, but it, I don't know. It's just like a just a special card. It has a special place in my heart. Like this is the kind of card that, I don't know, probably thousands of people have sat down and thought, I want to make a Heartless Sitatsugu deck. I want to see if I can make that work. Yeah, I mean, I think we all we all have to love cards like this where you just look at it and immediately say to yourself, like, oh, there's got to be something I can do here. And there are a lot of some things you can do with Hidatsugu. Yeah, I don't think it's a coincidence. This is the uh, most played card, uh, red card in this set in EDH, appearing in 15,377 decks. Uh, and it's also, somewhat to my surprise, the most played in uh, Cube as well. It just pips Genju of the Spires coming in at 1,162 cubes, even though I think it's actually probably a worse card in most cube environments, but it's just so fun uh, that I think plenty of people cram it into cubes where it probably doesn't belong, but it, it's just, a, I suspect this is a pet card for a lot of people. Yeah. And for our cube, we I know we both have this as a build around. Uh, I don't know what we would be building around Hidetsugu, but but it just feels like the potential must be there, right? You know, I have this in a build around. I feel like it, it might be a really weird auto-include. Like, it's not an auto-include on power level, but I feel like a Kamigawa block cube that does not include Hidetsugu is just, that's just no good. Just think about how many iterations of Hidetsugu we've seen, given that we've only had two, like, <laughs> visits to Kamigawa in all of history. We've got Heartless Hidetsugu, we've got Hidatsugu all over the place in Neon Dynasty for reasons I haven't bothered exploring. We have Hidatsugu and Kairi just printed in March of the Machine. So yeah, it feels like it would just be wrong to to cut him here. Yeah, I, or, I, one thing I worry about a teeny bit is he's he's kind of a trap card. I don't think he's a very good one. Um, I feel like a lot of players uh, would just get excited to jam this card and then heartbroken. But like, I think that's great though. 
Right. It's a game you remember, right? You don't remember curving out two to three to four drops. You remember the time you cast Heartless Sinetsugu and lost or won off the back of it. Right. And I mean, it's it's a trap card, but not not in the sense that most of the trap cards we've seen are where they're they're leading you to think that there's some archetype that's supported that isn't like there there's clearly no no archetype for Hitetsugu. <laughs> <laughs> right it's like you're gonna have to put the work in buddy yeah like you you're gonna have to figure something out on your own yeah he's also got like pretty powerful awesome art by carl critchlow it's got really badass flavor text like just just a cool card yeah one of my favorite things about this card is that it's actually not that easy to combo with in some cases. And I particularly like the interactions with like Furnace of Wrath or a lot of other damage doublers where he just kills everybody, uh, which seems sort of on brand, honestly. <laughs> that, that is pretty great. You don't want to trust this guy. Yeah. I will say if you uh, pair him with someone like Solfim, one of the new, not a, not a Praetor, but a new Dominus from All Will Be One. Uh, he is just an OTK for everyone but you. So that's that's fun. Uh, with Anti-Blight, which I guess is a jumpstart card, uh, Hiratsugu can be an instant plus 20, plus 20 for Anti-Blight in the best case scenario. Cool. Uh, and for, let me see, I just wanted to pick a few highlights here. Neheb the Eternal, uh, which is from Hour of Devastation. Um, Neheb adds one red mana to your mana pool for each one life your opponents have lost this turn. So if you're in a four-player <laughs> commander game, you could generate 60 red mana oh uh, in God. one turn. So there's some cool stuff that Hidetsugu's up to. That's amazing. How is that not the highest synergy card in Neheb the Eternal? Like, what? who is playing any card over this in Neheb? That's wrong. I know. <laughs> like, nothing's going to get you more than 60 red mana. Wow. <laughs> 60 red mana. That's Yeah, beautiful. and then spend that all on the uh, the crackle with power that you're also running in that deck. Yeah, or just fireball him to death. Mm-hmm. Hmm. All right. Uh, so are we are we talking ourselves from build around to just auto-include 1x here? Yeah, I think... I mean, I don't know what the build around would be. I think he's just got to be in as an auto-include. All right. No one's going to fight us on that one. Okay, this next one's a little more nuanced. We have In the Web of War, which is fantastic name. Three red red for an enchantment. Whenever a creature enters a battlefield under your control, it gets plus two plus O and gains haste until end of turn. And then the flavor text says, in desperation, Kanda sent warriors to parlay with the ogre magi. No one knows whether they were slaughtered at Chinka or if they even reached its bloodstained walls. Observations of the common war. Uh, and that goes really well with the art, which is uh, a Ron Spencer piece that I actually really like, uh, hmm. showing some... Pretty scary looking, very clearly red Kami descending on, uh, I guess, this party of warriors sent by Kanda uh, who are traversing this very perilous looking mountain path. As a card, it's pretty hard to see this ever being anything less than maybe like two turns too late. It's a really tough one to evaluate, isn't it? Like, I... I feel like it couldn't cost much less. Like maybe this could cost four. It certainly couldn't cost three, especially back then. I think I think now it could easily cost three, but really, you think this could cost three today? Play this on three, make two tokens the next turn and swing in for six hastily. I don't know. I feel like it could. There's that new green enchantment. I guess something about the world tree. Let me me find it here. 
Tribute to the World Tree, which is a three-mana three, three mana green enchantment from March of the Machine, it says, whenever a creature enters a battlefield under your control, draw a card if its power is three or greater. Otherwise, put two plus one plus one counters on it. All right, you pwned me on that one. <laughs> if you can print that at three, you can have in the All right. of war. All right, I'll take it. This could definitely be printed at RRR. Okay, fine. So in our, in our environment, like this is obviously sick with token makers. Unfortunately, there are not that many of them. Most of the time, this is like boosting a thing a turn, and you kind of have to throw it into the web of war immediately to see what happens. Nice. Like, yeah, thank you. It was, it was accidental. Um, I, I don't know. I, I put this one through Quadrant Theory as well. Um, it's obviously terrible in development. It, you're not casting it. It's terrible when you're behind. Like, this does not help you get back into the game or stabilize at all. It's actually, like, a completely dead draw. It's, like, okay when you're ahead, and then like at parody, it's either powerful or completely useless. So I just feel like you, I put all that together. Like it's not a great scorecard for in the web of war. Some, something you said there makes me feel even worse about it, which is that this, you know, the benefit that you're getting from this only applies to the creature on the turn that it's cast. So you, you need to attack with that creature to get any kind of value out of in the web of war and if it's the wrong timing if your creature is too small to get through their blockers without just dying yeah like if the, if there's anything but sort of the perfect conditions this really just does nothing like there's no lasting value to it yeah i i don't i don't just don't know that there's a deck that can take advantage of this honestly and you know we were talking about how how tough it is to get up to ashen monstrosity mana to get a seven mana seven four hasty creature is there really any deck that can get to five mana for a often do nothing enchantment yeah i don't know let's let's play out a little scenario so i don't know let's just say it's total parody you've got three bears your opponent has three bears the, the classic six bear set <laughs> classic six bear battle um you play a fourth bear that's a four two and you crash in and your opponent trades one of their bears for it mm-hmm that's that's done nothing, like literally nothing. Yeah, I I don't know. I just I don't think this really does much, honestly. Yeah. Uh, interesting. Very interesting card. Interesting in that it's like hard to evaluate. I got another one for you. Another modern comparison. Another unfair comparison to a modern card. Bring it in. Reckless Stormseeker, which is from Midnight Hunt. Gives it's a. a three mana two three speaking of being able to print this at three mana three mana two three creature that gives another creature or this creature that you control plus one plus one or plus one plus oh and haste until end of turn yeah and i've never seen that thing cast either all right all right so i accept that i don't think this makes it i do like it with the time spiral card primal force mage that gives uh whenever says whenever another creature enters the battlefield under your control that creature gets plus three plus three until end of turn you put that together with this thing now we're cooking each of your creatures get plus five plus three in haste i mean that's that's game that's a big game that's something that's something that's something we don't have that in this uh, set though no do we just talk ourselves down to instacut for this very unique card yeah we both started at meh but i just i can't see this ever getting cast i didn't hear us say anything meh meh worthy and that's a low bar. You mean that would make it good enough to be <laughs> to, to achieve a mat? I really didn't. I think, that, I think that that says it all right there. All right, let's just cut it. All right, next up we have Ire of Kaminari. Ire of Kaminari is three and an R for an instant arcane uh, at common. 
Ire of Kaminari deals damage to our, any target equal to the number of arcane cards in your graveyard. And the flavor text. Thunder broke the brittle silence over the Urava. A surge of raw energy lifted the soldier's body into the air, and briefly, in the heart of the flash, he saw the face of a god. Great Battles of Kamigawa. All right, so uh, first, this is an objectively bad card. Like, the amount of setup we're being asked to do here is kind of insane. That said, I'm just going to get my rating out here right from the start. I am a build around 3x on this. Let me tell you why. What? I know. Let me tell you why. The thing I like about it is I feel like this is like a little bit like Dampened Thought and that it's a bad card that present in large enough quantities feels like it could actually sort of put a new deck into play. If you have two of these, like you can hit your opponent for nine damage or you can clear out almost any creature in the block. Like, okay, that's still just like, okay. But I do feel like in large enough quantities, we may be able to turn on some kind of like bad arcane spell deck like i don't know maybe there's like this and the white like fog and <laughs> candles glow effects together are like a like a red white burn fog deck i don't know what do you think Connor? Bur- i just got off the rails fog deck. <laughs> okay let's let's back up a bit it seems a little optimistic to say that two of these are dealing nine to your opponent's face because you would need four arcane spells already uh-huh. in your graveyard so you have four arcane spells in there when you cast your first Ire of Kaminari. Yep. Then you got five because you got an Ire in there. See? See? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's totally true. And that's where I think you need something else. Like, obviously, Glacial Ray is great with this. But I feel like, I don't know, like, if your graveyard is actually full of, like, candles, glows, and ethereal hazes, and other kind of early, grindy arcane spells. I mean... I like this idea a lot, and it makes me want to put Dampened Thought back in to make make that part of the package somehow. Just Jeskai Arcane Spells? Yes, Jeskai Spellslinger. Jeskai Arcane Spellslinger. <laughs> what, what gives me pause about that otherwise amazing idea is that in the worst case scenario, this is a four mana deal zero. Yeah, that's a that's a hell of a floor, isn't it, Connor? It is. And in the best case, I think maybe like maybe you do get this in your is it or Jeskai arcade spell slayer with a bunch of dampened thoughts and and whatever the fog effects are glacial ray. And then maybe you're dealing five with this, which is good. Why isn't this three mana, Connor? This would not be OP at three mana, but it would be much more interesting. I, I wanted to ask you, how would this card need to be changed for you to like happily included in the cube without without needing to agonize over whether it's possible i think at three mana i would be thinking about it much more seriously i think Mm -hmm. if it was one plus the number yes it would be total i was gonna say totally viable which is not true but it would be pretty defensible right like i think you're right that the floor being zero is it's a really tough pill to swallow like that's just really bad on, on a four mana instant that it just literally can't do anything and honestly not even that floor like the bottom floor, but like the the next floor up of like dealing one or two, still bad. <laughs> like it's actually only once you've invested a lot, like or three. I think at three it becomes bad, but not totally, utterly humiliating. Yeah, four and above, I think you're pretty happy with it. Like as soon as you're hitting for four, I'm I'm pretty happy. Yeah, if if you're getting to four, I think that's good. I I feel like if this was if this was three mana, one plus the number of arcane cards. Or maybe even three mana, one plus the number of 
spirit and arcane cards because this doesn't count spirits either. I was wondering about that too. I feel like it totally could, and that would be fine. I think if it was, I think it was spirits and arcane, even at four without the one plus, I would be pretty okay with it. Yeah, then you know maybe it's worth considering in sort of like a Rakdos spirits deck or like Gruel aggro soul shift something like that's kind of interesting, but only counting arcane cards. This this is one of the the few cards where I've I've looked at it and been like tempted to to just have it be different in our cube just like change this card to make it something viable yeah no someone asked us on reddit recently i think it was vivander would you consider custom cards or editing cards and i i said no but honestly for like there are these little cards like this where i think if you just tweak this a little bit you could keep the heart of the card the same but actually create something new and fresh and different. But I also worry that that's just a rabbit hole that I, I don't know that... I feel like I've given Kamigawa a, a year of my life already, plus the year I gave it when it came out. And I, I don't know. I don't know that I want to go that deep. Yeah, it's it's an interesting thought experiment, but I don't, I don't really want to go there. So I'm still torn between my crazy build around 3X and like an Instacut. Do you think there's room for something in between here? I mean, it's it's like the other arcane spells we've looked at or Frostling, where I just don't know what the between would be. It's either you're just out because it's too bad or you're all in because you want to make it possible. I, I, I almost want to have one in as a build around almost placeholder so that as we're going back to look at other things that we maybe need to evaluate that are maybe named 100 Talent Strike, uh, we can kind of keep this arcane spell slinger idea in mind i feel like we need to start making a list of all the all the key decisions we need to revisit in that kind of mid-season or mid uh block check-in episode and i think the arcane deck is one of the biggest ones it's this really key part of the block's identity but the cards are bad and it's super parasitic and i think we just need to sit down and kind of look over everything we've talked about so far and evaluate like what do we need to do what do we do about this deck just decide are we are we in or out? Okay. <laughs> so so what do we do with this? I, I like your build around one X just just so we don't forget about it. Yeah. I, I want to be able to turn the dial and not not lose it. All right. Okay. Next up we have Ishi Ishi Aki Crackshot. One in a red for a one one legendary goblin warrior. Whenever an opponent casts a spirit or arcane spell, Ishi Ishi Aki Crackshot deals two damage to that player. And then the flavor text says, Here fell Ishi Ishi, king of the flaming pebbles, scourge of the mountain kami, lover of goats. May his shell never burn. Cave inscription. <laughs> Honestly, it's rare. It's rare I actually laugh out loud at flavor text, but that w- that's pretty funny. It's really good. The art is also pretty funny and and weird here. Like uh, Ishi Ishi, as the flavor text suggests, is is riding on a goat, really just standing on a goat <laughs> who doesn't seem to mind it at all. And the goat is extremely cartoony, like like children's book. The whole thing, like Ishi Ishi, I think could blend in. He could, you know, he could pass. He could pass in another in another card. Everything else, though, <laughs> like this goat, this weird little cartoony outcrop that they're both standing on, the completely blank background. <laughs> it's like very feels very out of place, but I love it. This is Christopher Rush. Like this is this is old school magic art as it gets. We're talking about you know the guy here who did you know like 1996 uh, world champion 
It's the first card in the list that I've seen. That's not a very good list. Going back all the way here. You know, All Hallows Eve, Abbey Gargoyles, like all kinds of weird Black Lotus. Wow. We, yep. I feel uh, like we buried the lead. a bit of a swing in this. <laughs> you did. This is some pretty cool stuff like Abbey Gargoyles. 1996 world champion. But, Plus a little card you may have heard of called Black Lotus. Uh, so, you know, this is a, he's a pretty iconic magic artist. I think it's fair to say. I don't think someone who wasn't an iconic magic artist would have gotten away with this art, honestly. Uh, but I love it. It's it's super funny. You know, speaking of old school, this card itself has kind of an old school vibe play-wise. Like, it's a little hyperbolic, but it reminds me a little bit of Boil. You know, uh, three mana destroy all islands. Kind of like old school super punishing effects. Yeah. And like, I don't think it's far off. I mean, two damage every time your opponent casts the things they need to cast, that adds up extremely quickly. Like, four or five of those, and that's like half your opponent's life total gone to the stupid two mana one one. And of course, yeah, he's very fragile, but like, without removal, this guy, this guy really does some work, I think. Uh, And I think white and blue, especially, will really struggle against Ishii Ishii. I'm honestly kind of shocked that this effect isn't symmetrical. That it doesn't. I was just thinking punish, the same thing. That it doesn't doesn't punish you for for casting spirits or arcane spells. I'm I'm actually amazed that it's not symmetrical. Do you think you can in in this format? Do you think you can main deck Ishi Ishi? Well, so one thing I've noticed in playtest games is surprisingly few decks fall kind of neatly into the mortal versus non mortal thing. Most decks have to bridge a little bit. And so I think even if your opponent is mostly concentrated on non-spirit arcane stuff, this guy's likely to trigger once or twice. I don't know. Let's play it out. So if this guy triggers once, two mana, one, one, deal two to your opponent. It's not great, but it's not embarrassing. If he triggers twice, two mana, one, one, deal four to your opponent. I'm super happy with that. I mean, we just spent a lot of time debating like Flames of the Blood Hand and Ire of Kaminari. So yeah, I think... I think you maybe play this guy even if you don't know. I think this guy might just go in the main deck, which sounds kind of crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I think you might might be right there. I like my first note that I had on him is Ishi Ishi sideboard all-star. <laughs> but I think he <laughs> I, like I think it. he does just belong in the main deck. Like there are not many decks that come together that are either fully into spirits or arcane, or certainly that avoid spirits or arcane, because there's really no payoff in Kamigawa for kind of being on the mortal side. You know, there's no mortal equivalent to spirit craft. So if you are like a mostly mortal deck, there's no reason to avoid spirits or arcane spells. So yeah, I think like Ishii Ishii is usually going to get a few hits in. So what do you think about rating? I feel like he's playable to me. Playable 1x is where I have him. Yeah, I I like that. I feel like he's kind of on the bubble between playable and meh because there will be, you know, situations where he's just a two mana 1-1. But, you know, he'll have this cute goat to look at while he's doing it. All right, let's lock it in. Playable 1X. All right. All righty. Moving on to Kumano's Blessing. Two and an R for an enchantment aura. At common, flash, enchant creature. If a creature dealt damage by enchanted creature, this turn would die. Exile it instead. Whew. Uh, that, that sure seems like an easy insta-cut, doesn't it, Connor? <laughs> that's, that's a rough one. I think I'd want to see this at about one red mana before even looking at it. Not saying I would play it, or draft it at one red mana, but even to like think about thinking about it. Yeah, I feel like at one red mana, I, I still need it to cantrip. Like, this is just so yeah. little value. Yeah. It's it's kind of remarkable how little value it is. 
How, why on earth does this cost three? I genuinely cannot understand it. I don't, I, you know, I feel like, like Arcane, there was a, a pretty severe overcosting that went into this like Yamabushi ability of exiling things that are dealt damage. They seem very scared of it, don't they? Yeah, and uh, like I, I don't, I don't know where that's coming from. Yeah, uh, the art here is also like really goofy. It's like a, a guy who looks honestly kind of like a luchador. <laughs> he, he does it's like kind of dorky luchador guy with a blue ponytail uh wearing one sleeve for some reason like a mid-2000s anime character he's like bare chested with one sleeve on his left hand or right hand and then his other hand is painted white I don't, this is like super goofy looking well he's a yamabushi I, I like his staff yeah no the staff is staff is very well realized yep yeah that's all i got all right that's a, that's an instacut for sure. This is is this the worst card in the whole episode, Connor? I think so. I think it it is. It definitely feels like the the most do nothing card we've seen. I yeah. Every other card has some ability to do something, and also you can do be proactive about it. There's nothing proactive about this card. Nope. All right, we belabored that long enough. Uh, let's move on to yeah. I, honestly, the eighty seconds we gave it is is overkill. It's, it was too long. Let's see how long we give Manichi the Fever Dream. Two and a red for a 1-2 legendary spirit. With the activated ability, pay one and a red. Switch each creature's power and toughness until end of turn. The flavor text says, Early in his reign, Konda fell ill. His head burned with fever, and he saw visions of his future. In them, he saw a spirit child, and in that child's eyes, a way to make his empire last forever. The history of Kamigawa. So I vaguely remember from the Kamigawa novel that we had back in the day that Manichi was like a a kami that was possessing Kondo or possessing his dreams or something and and somehow contributed to the beginning of the kami war but um it does does not give uh, the impression of being that important from the <laughs> three sure meta doesn't. one two it's really weird to have the like this kind of like utterly like weird but forgettable card with really weird art like in its flavor text contain a summary of the key plot of Kamigawa, which by the way is not really explained or even nodded at in that many other cards. Like Kamigawa has a very Baroque plot. And I feel like sticking this on like the bulkest of bulk rares is, is like a weird move. Yeah. I actually used to love this card. It felt like by used to, I mean, in about 2005, it felt like there must be so much potential there. If I could just figure it out, like if I could just think of the deck where you'd have some big payoff by by switching each creature's power and toughness until end of turn, like there must be something there, and I never did figure it out. Probably because there is nothing there, and I think if there was, someone would have figured it out in EDH by now. Uh, but based on the numbers, no one has. Yeah, I just think this is kind of a fun card that just doesn't do anything. I feel like Mendici could at least have like, couldn't it be a one three that can turn itself into a three one, something like that. Yeah, I mean, it's not even, I feel like it's not even fun, though, because it forces you to switch each creature's power and toughness, right? You can't use this to sort of selectively make one of your own creatures suddenly, you know, hit for six instead of one or whatever, or like kill something with zero power. Oh, interesting. What if there was both a global and a targeted version for the same cost? That'd be kind of fun. Yeah, that'd be great. But as it is, it's just like it switches everything, including your opponent's creatures, which means any kind of like power toughness swapping shenanigans you might be able to take advantage of your opponent is also, I, I don't know if I can call it getting the benefit of that, but 
something's happening to them. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. I just, I don't know. I always wanted to build a deck around this and I don't think that it's possible. Like I can't figure out what the payoff would be or what you would ever use this for. <laughs> yeah. Especially since you got all these, um, like defender tribal guys running around now, like, you know, Doran and his numerous descendants. Like there's just no reason to ever play this card, except that it's kind of fun that it's in red. That's quirky. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's an Instacut, right? Absolutely. Okay. Let's, uh, spoiler, keep the Instacut train rolling with Ogre Recluse. Three and an R for a 5-4 Ogre Warrior at Uncommon. Whenever a player casts a spell, tap Ogre Recluse. Uh, Flavor text. Those ogres who did not embrace Oni worship were cast out, cursed, and forced into hermitage, waiting for the day the Oni would come for them. The history of Kamigawa. I just feel bad for this guy. Like, he gets persecuted because he won't worship demons, uh, which is very unfair. And then he gets saddled, like, with this terrible, terrible effect, um, what, which is just, like, just cruel. I don't know. This, this card is terrible. It's an insta-cut. It's not fun. It's not interesting. Fro- I would happily play, not only play Frost Ogre over this, I'm going to say somehow Frost Ogre manages to be more interesting than this, despite being a vanilla creature. Oh, no. Yeah, I I, I hate this card. The only interesting thing is, uh, I guess, flavor mechanic connection of, you know, the recluse retreating back into his cave every time the, the Oni show up, which apparently means anyone, including you, casting any spell for any reason. I like that. That feels like a precursor to Nora and the Wary, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. But, but much less fun and interesting. Yeah. Okay. Instacut. All right. Get him out. All right. Next up is Overblaze. Three and a red for an instant arcane. Each time target permanent would deal damage to a permanent or player this turn, it deals double that damage to that permanent or player instead. And it has splice onto arcane for two red red. And I don't think we've had any splice cards so far this episode. So if you're not familiar with that mechanic, splice lets you reveal the card from your hand and pay its splice cost as you cast another arcane spell. And then if you do, you add this card's effects to that spell. Oh boy. Oh, this card. The, the, I, I couldn't help but thinking of the new, I think this is the third time I've mentioned this card this episode, but the new, <laughs> new-ish uh, Dominus in red from All Will Be One. This Dominus is dominating your thinking. He is. It's, he's one of the first uh, All Will Be One uh, mythics that I open. So he's, he's really uh, taking up a lot of space in my mind. He's living rent-free, as the kids say. Um, <laughs> Sulfim also costs four mana, but he comes with a 5-4 body. Instead of targeting one permanent at a time to double damage, Sulfim just applies doubling damage to any source you control that deals non-combat damage. Connor, what happened here? Can also make himself indestructible. <laughs> what, like, this is so bad. What happened? Why is this four and four to splice? <sighs> yeah, I, I like how this, the splice is actually more onerous even harder yeah <laughs> because there's two it's, it's double designated oh. oh this card also has uh we shouldn't talk about it too much because it doesn't deserve it but this has like the most ron spencery ron spencer art of all time mm-hmm. it's just like endless bulging muscles you almost like but you can't also can't even tell what's going on there's so many bulging things like i don't know what's happening in the middle part of this frame i mean i get that it's a commie and it's supposed to be weird but it's so weird that i'm like baffled by it kind of just muscle yeah it's like a muscle it's a muscle commie okay let's talk about patron of the aki next 
Patron of the Aki is 4RR for a 5-5 legendary spirit at rare. And it has Goblin Offering. You may cast this card anytime you could cast an instant by sacrificing a goblin and paying the difference in mana cost between this and the sacrificed goblin. Mana cost includes color. And then, whenever Patron of the Aki attacks, creatures you control get plus two, plus O oh, until end of turn. Okay, so this is part of the patron cycle, a kind of strange cycle that has this offering mechanic that appeared only in Betrayers of Kamigawa on five cards and never again. Uh, this is, I think, maybe the best or at least most straightforwardly good of the patron effects. Like plus two plus O oh is it's just a nice thing to have, Connor. It's just like a it's just a great kind of effect. It's the kind of effect you want in the world. It is a pity you have to uh, swing in with the patron to get it rather than it just boosting your attackers passively. Like that's actually, I think, a pretty meaningful downside here. But overall, I, I like this little guy or big guy. He's pretty large. He's, he's a very, very big guy with a very big mouth, which is oh, kind of... Man, does he have a big mouth. Yeah, that's really a trademark of this cycle of patrons is they all have just enormous maws. I do like that the... The flash upside of the offering mechanic is kind of more relevant here um, since it can let you swing in, you know, the turn after you flash it in. Yeah. It's not <laughs> super relevant, but on the on the other patrons, it just feels weird and almost meaningless that they have, you know, the offering mechanic lets you flash it in. Here, it's like at least theoretically helping you. <laughs> I feel like in general, this one hangs together a little bit better than some of the other patrons. Like It does. The, yeah. the worst by far is um, the Kitsune patron, which just is just like a jumble of confusion. Like it just makes no sense. It doesn't have anything to do with the Kitsune mechanically. It doesn't make a lot of sense that the Kitsune would let this demon thing eat them. Like it's just dumb. But like this card, goblins would totally sacrifice one of their own to get plus two plus O. Oh. Very on brand. I also really love the art here. Uh, I like uh, that we actually see uh, the creature being sacrificed, um, which again is not present in any of these other patrons, despite all of them being about eating things. So I like the like focus on the victim here. I like this simple, strong comp composition. I like that the color palette here is all red and yellow without looking cheesy. Um, it's just like a big old classic monster, and I, I like it. Okay. okay, when you said when you said it's all red and yellow without looking cheesy, I was thinking like <laughs> actually cheese, like like it's Are a you hungry? I mean, I know we've been recording a while, Connor. Uh, I was actually sneaking burrito bites in. <laughs> oh no! While you were talking, so yeah, I mean, Patriot of the Aki kind of kind of is like a large cheesy burrito. He really, really is. He's actually. Do you think subconsciously you got a burrito because of this card's art? I, I I think that must have contributed to it. Huh. It's a pity that they didn't have burritos in Kamigawa because the Aki might have been able to convince this guy to eat burritos instead of goblins. Yeah, he's, he seems pretty determined to eat this goblin. <laughs> he does. But I, burrito offering. It could be a super obscure unset card for like you and me. There's, there's something there. <laughs> there's there's something there, damn it. Okay, uh, what's, what's the rating on this guy, Connor? So I have him as playable because i think that the the plus two plus o is actually pretty relevant and six mana five five is not uh not uh too terrible i had him at mad but i think you're right i think this is a playable playable one x all right okay we've got another uh fairly expensive creature here ronin cliff rider three rr for a two two human samurai uh with bushido one and then whenever Ronan Cliff Rider attacks, you may have it deal one damage to each creature defending player controls. <sighs> I'm just not feeling this at all. It's a five mana 2-2 two -two that's sometimes a 3-3 three -three with a one damage 
sweeper effect. That's just not not doing it for me. I really struggle with this guy. I actually skipped over the um, sell for rating it several times because I just couldn't I couldn't really figure it out. I do think it's a little better than it looks. It outright kills like 96 out of 350 creatures in the cube. So a little under a third. So does first volley. Yeah, but this can get a two for one <laughs> or a three for one. Maybe, probably not. <laughs> I also think the stat line here looks worse than it is. Like it, it's a two, two for five. Okay, yes, okay. But actually it's kind of like a three, three for five because it has Bushido one. And because of this okay. one damage thing, it's it's really more like a four, three for five. I think you're just you're just adding numbers <laughs> at random, <laughs> and then and then when you think about it, Connor, <laughs> how does it get when you? you think a... about the four that his his mount has four horns instead of instead of the normal two. That's worth an extra uh-huh. probably two power yeah. uh, and toughness. So okay. where does that leave me? I think we're I think he's at a six five <laughs> for for three. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that that leaves us lost. Okay, anyway, okay, so where I actually think that leaves us is I think it leaves us with a five mana, like, sort of 3-3 that basically gives your opponent, like, one headache round of combat. That's not that good. Mm -hmm. It's a tough one to read right after Patron of the Aki. You know, I feel like Patron of the Aki does, like, a better version of this without all the, like, like kind of migraine-inducing nuance. And at a, you know, much much better rate, too. Like, I, I, I just can't get over the five mana... 2-2 2-2 two, two here, right? Like, he has the Bushido 1, but if you're swinging at me with a 2-2, a two, two, I'm like, I'm just gonna take it. <laughs> I just can't miss the feel, the sense that this is like a one-sided sweeper and that there's something to that. Well, okay, what would we value a, let's say, just a, a sorcery or instant that deals one damage to every creature your opponent controls? What would we value that at? Um, I'm asking you because I don't know like one R and we wouldn't be that happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Can I read you uh, the, a contemporary review of this from uh, Zvi Mauschwitz? Mm-hmm. Professional driver, closed course, except for that cliff area over there. Do not attempt one star at the meeting to decide which cards would get that push that makes them viable and constructed. I would have supported Ronan cliff rider and pushed for at most two RR, but my side did not win the day. You can't pay five mana for this, and I don't expect anyone to try. The effects just don't add up to enough. Okay. All right. Uh, I think Zvi Mashovitz has given me uh, air cover to say we can insta-cut this guy. Yeah. Let's uh, let's say goodbye. No, I think it's a meh. Actually, I think it is a meh. Uh, and the reason is because is- we've cut so much this episode. I wonder, I worried red is going to be depleted in numbers, Connor. <laughs> this is just a mercy meh, then. Okay, fine. It's an insta-cut. Uh, fine. Fine. Okay, let's talk about Shinka Gatekeeper. Shinka Gatekeeper is two and an R for a 3-2 Ogre Warrior at common. Whenever Shinka Gatekeeper is dealt damage, it deals that much damage to you. Flavor text. Understanding is not a virtue of the Ogre. Do not seek to reason your way into Shinka Keep. Kiku, Knight's Flower. Okay, so this is like like Jackal Pups uh, for plus one, plus one, and two more mana. Uh, And this guy is a dog. Uh, he's terrible. Um, at two mana, this card I think would have been a house, or at least really interesting. Or maybe if he had haste, uh, or maybe first strike, uh, which would be thematic as well, right? It's tough to get through the gatekeeper, but once they fall, you're very vulnerable. But as he exists, this card is just a stinker, and I don't like him. And I think he's an insta cut. Yep, uh, just just bad. Like <laughs> it's just uh, a a not even fair, a, a less than fair to you jackal pup. Yeah, I mean, I I think you have in your notes. This is. Kind of what a three drop 
should be anyway. It should be like a three two. That's sort of the least I would I would want from from my three drop. Even back then, I this this isn't cutting it, but it is getting cut. Okay, let's go to sewing salt. Two red red for a sorcery. Exile target non basic land. Search its controller's graveyard, hand, and library for all cards with the same name as that land and exile them. Then that player shuffles. Uh, this is the fourth card in a cycle of reprints from Urza's Destiny that we've seen that all have this effect of exiling a thing and then searching your opponent's uh, basically everything, graveyard, hand, and library for everything with the same name is, and exiling those too. And I think I've said enough about this cycle. I, um, I'm pretty done with it and pretty done with this card. Yeah, I think it's pretty bad. Uh, it's also ironic that there are these uh, land destruction payoffs that we've been talking about that uh, don't work with this card. <laughs> that, that is a great point. Very unfortunate. No credit for exiling. Before we cut this card, I do want to say I really, really like the art here. I think it's worth looking up. It's very fairy tale. It's got these bright, sharp lines. It's got this kind of almost HDR-like lighting of like super, super white sand, uh, salt and bright yellows and this deep, deep, dark shadow on the right side of the composition. I like the uh, like very painterly kind of abstract quality on the salt and the goblin. I, yeah, I just really, really like the art here. So hats off to Hideaki uh, Takamura for this one. Yeah, it looks like he also did both Gut Wrencher Oni and Pain Racker Oni, which were a couple of uh, big demons from Champions that we liked a lot. Yeah, I think those were some of our uh, favorite art uh, pieces of art from that set. And also Blizzard Spectre, which is a, a pet card of mine from Cold Snap. So only 29 cards to Hideaki's uh, name, but some of them are real bangers. Yeah. Instacut though, right? Yeah, it's an Instacut. Okay, cool. All right, next up, we have Torrent of Stone. Three and an R for an instant arcane at common. Torrent of Stone deals four damage to target creature. But it has Splice onto Arcane. Sacrifice two mountains. I really, really like this card. Um, I don't think it's super strong, but I think it's interesting um, and textured. You know, of course, it reminds me of... What is it? What is it? Fire Blast? Is it Fire Blast, Connor? What is it? What does it remind me of? Uh, uh, uh. Fire Blast. This is a, absolutely a callback to Fire Blast, which was first printed in, I don't know, Visions, I think. Um, Fire Blast is 4RR. You may sack two mountains instead of paying its mana cost, and it deals four damage to any target. So this is like a, a Fire Blast that's worse in every way, and that it um, can only target creatures and requires you to have arcane spells to splice onto it. But I think a bad Fire Blast is still pretty good in this context. Um, it's not really a three for one. It's more like a two for one when you do this because you get to keep the Torrent of Stone in your hand. And I think, you know, if you splice this once and then cast it again, taking out two different targets at the cost of two mountains and a card, I feel really good about that. I think that's a great uh, rate. And four damage is a lot. Uh, that kills 92% of the creatures in the cube. Now, admittedly, some of the creatures it misses are uh, the dragons, um, which is bad. But I don't know. I think this card's pretty good. Yeah, it's it's kind of tough to evaluate because, I mean, on the one hand, it do does kill nine out of ten things in the cube. But four mana is a lot. It's not insane, but it's not a little. Uh, two mountains feels very painful, at least if you're, you know, trying to to play this and, and get some tempo back. But I mean, I like, I guess I could see splicing this fairly late in the game when you're not really doing anything with the mountains anymore. And then you're pretty happy, but 
you also need another arcane spell to splice onto it. So I like I want to try it, but I'm really not sure how it's going to play out. Yeah, I don't think it's a tempo thing play, though. I mean, it's because it, it's it's poor tempo. I think it's like a late game, like, oh, wow, I drew this off the top and now I've got reach kind of feeling. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I also think, I don't know, let's contrast this with like pull under from champions, right? Which is like five and a B for target creature gets minus five, minus five. I mean, I feel like this is in that same ballpark. It's not amazing, but like, I, uh, let me put it to you this way. Like, are you ever cutting Torrent of Stone from your deck? I don't think so. Yeah, probably not. I mean, I think there'd be situations where I have it in hand and I'm not like thrilled about it, but I don't know if I'm ever cutting it. So yeah, I feel like this is just like okay removal, which is something that honestly is sort of lacking in this block. Like there's not that much okay removal, especially in red. That's very fair. And especially especially in red that can actually hit something Ashen monstrosity sized or larger. Yeah, I had this at a Met 1X. I think I could see even see that number creeping up. I don't think it needs to start there, but I do think we may find like the cube would be better with a little more removal. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's probably right. Okay. Yeah, let's go with Meh 1X. All right. And closing things out today, we have Twist Allegiance. This is six and a red for a sorcery. And it says you and target opponent each gain control of all creatures, the other controls until end of turn. Untap those creatures, those creatures gain haste until end of turn. Uh, so for seven mana, you and your opponent uh, just swap all your creatures for a turn. Uh, this this card is basically anything from a seven mana do nothing when you're ahead to seven mana win the game when you're really behind. To me, that does not sound very fun to draft or play 90% of the time. Uh, so it's an instacut. Yeah, I think the problem with it, uh, well, one is, as you said, it's very polarized in not a very good way, but also um, it's not like you can't be a little bit behind and have this win the game, right? Like you have to be so far behind that your opponent has like outvalued you to the point that you could kill, they could kill themselves in one shot. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yes. like this is, this is, doesn't just happen when like you're at 11 or you're at nine and they're at 12. And they have one more creature and you're worried about, you know, their inevitability, right? Like things have to have gone seriously wrong for you. Yeah. Like part of me likes the idea of that, that very polarizing, ridiculous top deck where, you know, you just happen to draw this when you're a turn away from losing and go, oh, I, I guess I just win now. Yeah. Um, which honestly feels like very commander to me in a way I'm not sure we want to, uh, to replicate in the cube. If if anyone ever gets to the mana to actually cast this. Right, which is which is very questionable. I feel like it's the like I don't know, you win games by putting cards in that help you win games. You know what I mean? Like yeah. built putting in cards that are assuming you're losing the game, like that's you've are you've already lost in a way, psychologically. Yeah. And and still depending on your opponent actually like having a board that will let you kill them with with their own stuff, right? Like if if your opponent is at I don't know like twelve and you're on your on your last leg, and then they have I don't know seven power worth of creatures and you twist allegiance, all, all you've done is put them to five and you're still gonna lose next turn. You're still dead. Yeah. All right. Seems like an insta cut to me, Connor. Even though it's a fun yep. one. Yep. But I hope some troll is running this in Commander. I, I'm sure they're out there. There are 459 trolls. Props to you.
Well, Connor, Connor, thanks so much for a real crack shot episode. Uh, and I, I hope this fever dream of 30 red cards in less than two hours hasn't caused our listeners to feel they're trapped in a clash of realities. Oh, wow. Yeah. Whew. Follow the show on YouTube uh, or your favorite podcast app. If you're a new listener, it helps you uh, not miss our occasionally intermittent episode release schedule. And if you like the show, and if, if you made it this far, I think you probably did, comment on Reddit, comment on YouTube, like, subscribe, all that stuff. You know, it really does help us out. It's it's exciting. It's fun to hear from you. Uh, and it helps new people discover the show. Uh, and maybe share it with a Magic Playing friend or post it in a Discord chat. It means a lot. If you do have thoughts or feedback, comment, email us, clockspinningpodcast at gmail.com. We're always happy to hear it. We're always excited to hear it. And we'll be back next time with... I don't know, maybe some Betrayers of Kamigawa cards, maybe another art review, maybe something totally new. We'll all find out together. But until then, I'm Austin. And I'm Connor. Thanks for listening. <laughs>